And the problem is, is we have to plan for who people are and not who we want them to be. You are listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast, where we chase purpose, not money. I'm your host, Patrice Washington, and welcome back. You are in for another treat. You know that this guest, all the guests that we bring to this podcast are going to challenge you to truly redefine wealth and chase purpose on your terms. Now, if you're brand new here, you may not know what it means to redefine wealth, but you should know that this is a community that believes that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. We believe in the original 12th century definition of wealth, which says it's about the condition of well-being. And so our guest today is going to help you be well in one of our six pillars of wealth. If you don't know anything about that, I want you to head to patricewashington.com forward slash start here so you can do the free audio training. It's really quick, really powerful, really impactful, and it's gonna break down what the six pillars are because these are the parts of life, the parts of your life that are impacting your finances even when you're not thinking about it. Now, before I get to today's guest, let's jump in to the affirmation of the week. You know, you gotta speak positivity into your life day. You got to affirm positivity. You got to affirm abundance. You got to affirm yourself to wealth. This week's affirmation is, my fit pillar is my priority this season. I understand that becoming my best self physically and mentally is the first step in improving my life financially. I honor, protect, and respect the one vessel I've been given to execute my purpose on this earth because I refuse to work just to afford prescriptions I cannot pronounce. I invest in my health today because I am clear that if neglected, it will surely impact my lifestyle and finances tomorrow. I don't care what diseases run in my family I am making a choice to be healthy and break generational cycles of unhealthy behavior starting now. My fit pillar is my priority this season. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I am so excited to have you. So Carolyn, Carolyn and I met, we were both on a panel a few months ago for CNBC. And instantly I heard your background, Carolyn. And I was like, do you remember during the little, just chatting right before I was like, oh my gosh, we need you. I need you to come on the podcast because here at Redefining Wealth, we say that there's six pillars to wealth. And the very first pillar is fit. And we talk about being physically and mentally well. Mm -hmm. You are the very first person. I don't know if there are any more out there like you, Carolyn, but I have never met someone who has a background in the healthcare industry and in personal finance. How did you go from being a doctor to becoming a financial planner? Well, it's not as sexy or bad as it sounds. And what ended up happening in the mid nineties, my husband had inherited some money from his parents 
And we invested that money and we did well and we thought we were brilliant. Of course, everybody in the mid 90s did well um, to late 90s. And so in 2000, he had decided that he wanted to make sure and it was enough to give him a lot of flexibility, but not enough to like give up life earnings. And we were in our um, mid thirties at that time in, in the in 2000, but he never wanted to be an engineer ever again. And so we tried to find a financial planner to tell us, does he have enough because he wanted to become a track coach and photographer. And so there, here's his photography behind me. And, um, and so I said, honey, I love you and I'm not going to support you. So we got to make sure your little nest egg is going to pull, pull your end of the bargain we kind of married into, right? <laughs> so, um, so I went to school for fun because we interviewed all these financial planners and they were all salespeople. They didn't do real financial planning. And so this is now 2000 and thank goodness, 20 years later, the world has changed a lot. I went back to school for fun so I could learn how to be a financial planner for us. And I fell in love with it. And I um, did part-time medicine and part-time financial planning to help me figure out, is this something I really want to do or am I going to be good at it? And can I create my own business? And in 2004, I opened my own firm, Life Planning Partners, and then 2005 is the last year I worked for in medicine for money. I still volunteer as a doctor. Um, I volunteered a free clinic for the working uninsured, and they say a doctor who's a financial planner is better than no doctor at all, um, <laughs> but I do keep up my board certifications, and, and so I get I keep my hand in medicine specifically so I can serve as a nexus between the two professions. Cause like you said, there aren't many people out there like me and, um, and I'm honored and I feel like it's a calling to be able to share uh, just, you know, my window on both professions. It's not that I'm exactly real super smart or anything, but when you've been exposed to two different things, it helps you see things that others just can't. So what are, what for you are the biggest connections between health and wealth? So we hear that your health is wealth, but what do you see from your lens as a doctor turned financial planner that many people are just not thinking about that, you know, what are we doing today that impacts our finances in the future? Gosh, there's so many, you know, but the, the biggest mistake that people make, and I especially see this in people who are really health-driven financial advisors who, you know, run the triathlons and, and do all these things to really stay in good shape. They want to impart their values onto everybody else. And the problem is, is we have to plan for who people are and not who we want them to be. And that's the biggest mistake I made. You know, I see, because if you have if you have somebody who has longstanding diabetes, hypertension, and they're overweight, and that, you know that's something that is many, many years in the making, it's really hard to get them to totally change their life to get things back to perfect. It's just not really doable. So everybody giving themselves a gr some grace and some compassion and doing the best they can with where they are. Always try to do better, but don't beat people up if they're not doing what you would want them to do. So one of the things that we talk about though, is like, basically, if you don't take care of yourself today, so we do hear people say, well, gym memberships are too expensive. 
or I don't have, you know, workout equipment at home, especially when the pandemic hit, right? Like all the workout equipment was gone. You could not order a dumbbell to save your life, right? (laughs) On Amazon or anywhere else. Right. And so we hear people saying, well, it's just too expensive. But one of the things I honestly do say to people is I'd rather invest in it now because I've watched people in my family die of diseases that were preventable. Now we're all going to go anyway, but is there a possibility that I can prolong my time here if I make some different choices today? So with your background, do you agree with that? Or are you like, look, everyone's an individual, mind your business? No, uh, um, I guess I agree to an extent. So, so here's how it plays out. We cannot predict the future. And you can have the healthiest person do everything right and they could get hit by a car or get some weird oddball cancer tomorrow. And so it's really important that we, we go towards statistics. So you are correct in that if you live a healthy lifestyle and take care of yourself, then you're more likely to have many good years ahead, right? But the one thing I don't want people doing is being so focus-driven on you know, taking care of themselves, and especially if they're not enjoying it, that they miss out on a good life now. And I say financial planners, the mistake that we make is we focus too much on the future, not enough on the present. And mm-hmm. so the purpose right now is to make certain, the, the clients that you have and the people you're working with, uh, the number one question we ask is, are you happy now? And if you're not happy, why is it? Because when people come to financial planners, it's usually for a reason. They want to start saving for retirement or they may have some family situation, just, you know, tons of different reasons. And I think it's so important for us to take stock of, are you happy now? And if not, why? And so for our clients, if if they say, I want to like retire at 55 because I hate my job, we talk about how that's really unhealthy because you don't know if you're going to enjoy, let's say they're 40 and they have 15 more years of a job they hate. Well, that makes it hard to take care of yourself, both your mental and physical health. So focusing on and helping people optimize now and become happy now, whether it's relationship issues, money issues, whatever, fixing that now and then working towards making certain you're doing what you can to maximize your future life. So, so the answer is yes, people should take care of themselves. And, you know, I'm laughing about the the people who say, oh, I don't have any gym equipment. And, you know, you, you don't really need equipment if it comes down to it. There's a lot of exercise you can do that's free that, you know, it's milk cartons work great, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. there, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do it. You just have to make it easy for yourself. One book that I recommend to people, it's called The Happiness Advantage. And, and he talks about ways to make yourself do have better behaviors with yourself and, and how to make it easier to do things to stay healthy. So mm-hmm. if something and, and um, you know, like one of the things is putting your gym clothes out in your bathroom. Yes, so, I do that. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as you do that, you're more likely to go, oh, okay, I got to go to the gym. And yeah, yeah, yeah I, I call that just, you know, setting up your life to support you. So I do do that. Like I put my little, my vitamins or whatever I need to take supplements throughout the week. I put them in the little cups. It's really like the mouthwash cup, but I put them in the little cups 
on Sunday or Saturday so that they're already out for the week. So it's not the like, oh, I got to go down and open all the bottles and do all the things. It's kind of already just set up for me so I can grab it wherever I'm going in the house or down to the office or leaving and have those. Um, but I lay out the, the clothes the night before I put the gym clothes on the chair in my bathroom. So when I get up, it's there. There's no excuse. Or I don't have to waste time with the like, where's this sports bra? Where are these socks? Where's, you know, the stuff, yeah. but putting those things in place, really, they really have helped. Um, and I got that from actually James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Um, there you go. You know, yeah. About just setting yourself up. So well, the, the thing about, I love what I hear you saying, because you definitely sound different than many financial planners <laughs> that I have come across in my day, because what I hear you saying, essentially what we say here is chase purpose, not money. So yep. yes, we want to be financially aware and we want to plan, but not to the detriment of, of who we are today. It's that not being happy when. So, you know, it's a lot, right. a lot of people are like, well, when I retire, then I'll be able to do the things that I like, but now being miserable today, how, how does that serve you? Right. Right. I mean, to me, you know, there are issues in the world. We're all going to have times in our life that we can't be perfect. Well, nobody's ever perfect, but they can't, that we can't do all the good things for ourselves. And every day you just have to pick up and say, it's a new day. I'm going to do the best I can for myself. And, you know, so one thing I do, I'm like the journal queen. And so every night, the night before I make my task list of what I'm going to do, and it makes me more likely to do it. And that includes my exercise, my things I do for my mental health. Like I raise butterflies and you know what work I'm going to try to get done and then I have another card so I have all these little things I keep in front of me of of just to remind me how to have a good day and then that's another book that I, I recommend it's how to have a good day by Caroline Webb and she really kind of gives you this process to try to make the most of each day but also to give yourself a lot of um, grace and compassion on the days you have bad days you just got to feel it and cry sometimes but yeah that makes you feel better and then you get back up and you're ready for the next time right so when we were on that CNBC panel I think one of the things that really stood out to me is you were talking about not just the financial impact of the pandemic but how COVID-19 will shift our mental health as a whole. Can you just speak to some of those dynamics? Cause you were, you were throwing things out there that at the time I was like, I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought of all of these things. It's not about um, just bouncing back, you know, financially, we have to bounce back health-wise too. What does that mm -hmm. look like to you? Well, it, to me, one of the things, and, and I talk about this often, I sound really nerdy. I'm not trying to sound smart, but it's complex adaptive system science. It's an area of study that I've just loved for a long time. And basically it's that study of, we never know what's going to happen. We cannot predict the future. So instead of spending so much time trying to predict the future and plan for a future, it's much better to develop inner resiliency. And, and there's different areas where you have to develop that resiliency. One is, and we saw this in the pandemic financially, people didn't have any emergency funds. And you know, there's societal issues for a lot of people, which I think we need to fix, which I'm on the bandwagon for. But, but people who generally even who make a good living do a very poor job of setting money aside. 
and in people being too aggressively invested so that when they for money that they actually need in the short term. And, and so th that the financial part is just making sure you have that done. And then you have to create your physical resiliency. Well, not, you know, I live in Hurricane Alley in, in, in Florida, in Jacksonville, Florida. And we always keep a three-month supply of everything. So when the toilet paper issue came up, I like sent out an email to clients and said, hey, if you need toilet paper, I got you covered. <laughs> and, um, and they, nobody actually, one person said we were really close to having to take you up on it, but everybody was fine. And it just, and I have three months of food supply. And I know, and it's not like, a, it, it wouldn't be like fun food if you got stuck and couldn't eat, but I knew I'd be okay. And then you have to have your emotional resiliency. And that's making certain you have a good sense of community, you know, do, and I'm an introvert and, and people can't believe that, but it really is true. I don't, I don't need a lot of stimulation from people, but I do need social interaction periodically. And you owe every, all of us need community. And there was a therapist once that said to me, because I always worried, you know, I don't like have a lot of close friends. She says, well, you're your personality type. You don't really need a lot of close friends. You just need one or two people. What you need, though, is a community. And she, and she said, and, this is, and just think back to pre-Uber. Um, if you were stuck at an airport, do you have 10 people you could call who would come pick you up? And I'm like, oh, yeah, easy. I said, probably in every city in the country, I have that. And, um, you know, because I travel a lot speaking and I just, you know, have this huge network. And so making certain, even if you're not a people type person, that you're involved in your community. So when bad things happen, everybody pulls together and we all get through it. And that keeps us more emotionally um, intact when bad things happen. I love that. So there's levels to resiliency Absolutely. because we always talk about it as that bounce back from like, for my story, from financial failure, losing everything in the, in the last recession. And, and, you know, I, I would say that being resilient was my superpower. Right. But I only thought about it from the aspect of financially, maybe relationally, I'm not sure, but I didn't, I didn't realize that there were levels. I love yeah. how you, how you explain that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's one more that actually, I can't believe I almost forgot physical health. And, and this is, so I've got my doctor hat on now, you know, when you go through life, if you don't do a good job taking care of yourself, when you're young, your body can bounce back easily. I call age 40 to 60, the point of no return. If you don't start taking care of yourself by that point, then when you hit your 60s and 70s, people who don't take care of themselves, their last, you know, their life expectancy is probably going to be, you know, late 70s, maybe through some into the 80s. But those last 10 years are often not very fun. You're spending a lot of time in the doctor, you're getting all this stuff done, your whole focus is like just trying to maintain. Whereas people who do a good job taking care of themselves, and it's, it's, it's a habit. It's consistency. You don't have to be like a gym rat or anything, but just doing, you know, some cardio exercise, weights and balance exercises. And, you know, even if it's just 15 minutes on average a day or whatever, you know, the, the recommendation is 150 minutes a week, you know, so 30 minutes a day, five days a week. And if you stay consistently in shape, when you have a bad thing, like you have need a surgery or you fall or whatever, 
much easier to bounce back. And so people who do a good job taking care of themselves, they do really well until their 80s, 90. And usually that time period where they're not doing well is very compressed. So mm-hmm. unless they get dementia, that's a, that's an outlier. But as far as the physical stamina and being bounce, bouncing back from things, things like COVID, the people who take care of themselves generally are going to do better. Every other month, I attend a Super Friends brunch where we talk about everything from purpose to pursuing new dreams and even menopause. Yep, you heard me, menopause, because if you're over 40 and your girlfriends don't keep it real, I don't know what to tell you. But we have these important conversations because how can we redefine wealth if we're not keeping up with our hormonal health? Now, we discovered Happy Mammoth. It's the company that created Hormone Harmony, and it's dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for us. They make no compromise when it comes to quality. Hormone Harmony contains herbal extracts called aptogens that help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally. And any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take Hormone Harmony. It's perfect for hot flashes, night sweats, menopause-related brain fog, sleeplessness, occasional bloating and gas. You get the picture. Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. And for a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com by using the code RW at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RW for 15% off. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
Wow. So that's the thing. You know, I said earlier it was about, well, let me make the investment now. So I'm I just started the window. I just turned 40 this year, Carolyn. So I'm in that 40. (laughs) Congratulations. I'm in that 40 to 60 window. And I'm thinking, you know what? I do want to make the time investment and financial investment, whatever that might be, just a gym membership or a trainer here and there, whatever those things are. Now, because Again, from from my family perspective, I watched people suffer for years and some of it was thinking, man, you worked all this time so you can spend all of the money you did save on prescriptions you can't pronounce. Right. Right. There's this like, you know, it's like that that cabinet in, in the kitchen or something where there's 50 different things you need to take. And I'm like, I'd rather take the five supplements recommended by the doctor today, because I don't want to have to take 50 things in. Now, obviously anything can happen, but Mm -hmm. that is my mindset also, because I just feel like there's just so much purpose. There's so much that I want to do and so much good. I know I can offer, but I know that I can't do it when I'm not at my best physically Mm -hmm. or mentally. I don't feel like I can contribute the same that I would be able to, if I was just feeling at my best. And I've gone through those seasons where I looked thin, you know, I may look relatively healthy, but behind the scenes, I was burning out. I was really low um, hemoglobin levels and I was iron uh, deficient and like all the things, but I thought it was okay because I was chasing my purpose and I'm Mm -hmm. doing good work. But at the same time, I was running myself in the ground. And I find that a lot of my clients, a lot of the women who listen to the podcast are, they're good people trying to do good work in the world, but sometimes to their own detriment to their physical and mental health. Absolutely. I mean, and that is an issue we see in so many women is that they take care of everybody else and not themselves. And what I say to them is if you don't take care of yourself, who's going to take care of you? And you can actually do a better job taking care of other people when you take care of yourself. And, and that's why there's a, a, a coach or somebody taught me a long time ago, the, the balance wheel of how you need to set aside time for exercise, physical health, mental health, for your community, for work. And so, so for me, like I have, and, and I, I grapple with this because I love learning. There's so many things I love to do and I could do. And, you know, so like for my mental health, I raise butterflies. It's just like, and now I started this mealworm farm because we started, um, <laughs> yeah, mealworms. I don't know if you know what they are. They turn into beetles, but you feed live mealworms to birds. And so with all the, the, with COVID thing and being stuck at home, I never realized how many great birds we had. And, and then the bird place said, oh, you should feed them live mealworms and they're expensive. I'm like, you know, a, a thing of a small thing of a thousand worms is like 20 bucks. Like I said, two, two cents a piece. I'm like, I wonder if I can raise these things. And so lo and behold, I've started a mealworm farm and now I have these beautiful bluebirds and the, and the bluebird family just brought their babies to see us. And we actually got to see dad bluebird feed baby bluebird. And so, you know, so taking care of my mental health, I make sure I exercise right. It's, it's like brushing your teeth. You just have to set aside the time for these habits and it helps you recharge so you can do a better job helping other people and doing good things for the world. 
need to find a hobby, Carolyn. Definitely not raising mealworms. That's not going to be <laughs> it. Um, but I, you know, some of the things that I that I do, but they're still kind of like in the same vein of what I do. So you know, there's always authors coming on the podcast. So I do read a lot, and I enjoy reading. Right, that's but a then hobby. Oh my gosh. All, all self-help books. I finally just read like a, a novel the other day and I was like, oh, not a book about helping myself change anything. Right. And it was really, right. really good. Um, but I do coloring books, adult coloring books. That were fun. Yeah. I do want to get more outdoors. I think I'm, I'm naturally an introvert as well. Also, people don't believe that, but yeah. I don't need a, a lot of stimulation from outside mm -hmm. sources, but I do feel like the pandemic created this thing where it was okay to be home because I just wanted to be home. I didn't feel anything right. different when the pandemic hit and people were like, oh, we got to stay home. I'm like, well, I'm always home anyway. Like, Yay! <laughs> I'm like, well, this is my normal life, right? Right. And now, you know, as as things begin to open up and there's some some opportunities to do things, I'm like, maybe you should go outside more. Like maybe you should find more besides driving to the gym. Like maybe right. you should go find some things outside and you're really inspiring me right now. Well, you know, everybody has different needs. And for me, I didn't realize how, how much nature was important. And I'm the, I'm the queen of, you talk about self-help books. I'm the queen of self-help books, but also using therapists and coaches and things like that. I, you know, I had a very different childhood and so some stuff to recover from. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am without all the wisdom of all those people that I've worked with through the years and, and this wonderful therapist um, career coach that I've utilized. I, I, I went through this really rough patch in, in my practice about, gosh, nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, forget it. I'm just, I'm not doing this anymore. And she made me take a step back and look and made me really realize what was important in life and and one of the things I realized I missed was nature. And, and so I just make this dedicated thing to expose myself. And I live in suburbia in, well, Jacksonville, I actually live in the city, but, but I have a big yard right outside of Jack. Jacksonville is a big suburbia. And, um, and so I've just created, my husband and I have created this oasis that I never want to leave. And, you know, I can, if I'm having a, a lot of, especially with COVID being home all the time, I just take a break and go sit in my backyard and throw some mealworms in the bin and the birds come flying in. <laughs> it's that simple, right? Because you, yeah. you set up your life to support that, to help you right. in, that, in that pursuit. Hey, Purpose Chasers, good news. The Chase Purpose Not Money merch store is now open 365 days a year, 24 seven. So if you've been waiting to get your Chase Purpose Not Money merch, now is the time. You can grab your tees, your sweatshirts, your hoodies, your candles, your mugs, whatever it is you want to represent that you are a purpose chaser is available for you. Just head to chasepurposenotmoney.com. So I wanna switch lanes. I know that there are some folks, there's many of us, and I went through this moving from California to Georgia, where the reality is, Carolyn, healthcare costs are ridiculous. Mm. Yep. It is hard. And there's so much pushback. You know, we see it every day, even with employers, like being mandated to do certain things. Like there's just so much. Um, is there any... I don't know, words of encouragement for people who are struggling, those entrepreneurs who are like, well, I can't afford, I can't even afford health insurance to go do my 
annual physical or to make sure that I'm doing the things necessary for my particular body type circumstances where I am in, in age, what can we do or what should we be thinking through if we're challenged with healthcare costs as a whole? So I have been talking and writing about healthcare and healthcare costs for gosh, 15 years now, thinking about it much longer because, you know, I practiced medicine 15 years for money. Um, and, and the problem that we have is, and I could talk to you for about 20 hours on this. So I'm going to distill it really quickly as our healthcare system is broken. And in the United States, we have this issue of half the country feels like everybody should pull themselves up by their bootstraps and too bad if you can't afford health care and the other until of course one of their family members needs it and then the other half has a collectivist mentality that says we should all at least have a basic care so that we can help each other and i'm in the collectivist sort because it actually would be better for our economy it would be better for all of us personally what you know as far as if we knew everybody had a basic care and so we we definitely I, I actually wrote a healthcare proposal and one of the things that I do is I, I work with politicians and I actually am an informal consultant to people running for office and people in Congress and about you know what's what's at issue with the healthcare system and I actually went through this period I, I wrote a healthcare plan and it actually had a lot of interest but people said it wasn't politically feasible and that's to provide primary care for all as a public service. And it cost a thousand bucks per person, we could greatly expand the Community health network to give everybody a base of primary care and, and not pay for it, and that actually would be good for our economy, it would be good for capitalism because you have healthier workers because you know primary care is cheap. And when I say primary care, I'm not talking preventive care. I'm talking when you get sore throat, backache, and all the preventive care, of course, but just the basics that people need. And so the problem is, is it's not politically feasible. And and I have, you know, working in DC for so many years, I'm like, this system is so broken. And everybody knows that now. And so I started doing research after this election in November of to a root cause analysis of why can't we get our healthcare system fixed? And it's basically because our political system is broken. And, and so we have to fix our political system so that they have incentive to fix our healthcare system. There's a book I'm actually running a book club on now. I have about um, 160 members in this book club. It's called The Political Industry. I recommend everybody read it. And one re and so this is a book I came to that said that said here's what we've got to do to fix our our political system, and then we can fix everything from there. So my political involvement going forward is to help promote the ideas in this book, which is basically a five deep open primary and then ranked choice voting. So, um, but getting back to your big thing is we got to fix the system first. So I encourage everybody to at least take five minutes a week to call a congressperson to do something to encourage them to fix our system. So what do you do in the meantime though? Cause it's gonna, you know, this is gonna be years in process. You know, a, a lot of the Affordable Care Act actually was great legislation had it been enacted well. 
And that's the problem. And then and there's problems on both sides. I mean, you know, the Democrats sold out to big insurance by not including a public option back in 2010. And they're still, I don't believe they're going to get a public option because they're owned by the health insurance companies. And the Republicans, of course, fought tooth and nail against the Affordable Care Act. And instead of trying to fix it, they you know, just continue to poke a, lot, a thousand needles in it. So you know, the good news is, is Biden is doing some fixes to it. And I encourage those people who say they can't afford it now. The, there was just in the last in, um, big law that they passed into March that they had a lot of fixes for the Affordable Care Act. And it's actually now way more affordable for people, especially entrepreneurs. Oh, so, really? Yeah. And so, yeah, got to look at it. Uh, you know, th they used to give tax credits for people up to 400% poverty level. So if you were a single person making under 50,000, you could get a tax credit. But if you made 51,000, that entire tax credit went away, which could be thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, they fixed that and that now your health insurance can cost no more than 8.5% of your income. And so the tax credit never goes away. It just phases out as you make more money. And so I had a number of clients that That's are awesome. early, yeah, that are early retirees who, you know, they, they were paying through the nose for their health insurance, especially when you're that age 60 to 65, and now we're able to qualify them for tax credits. So open enrollment, and it depends on your state, um, the states that are on the federal exchange, open enrollments through August 15th. So they need to look that up. And you were talking about the people can't go to get just their checkup. Well, in all the ACA compliant plans, your checkup's free. It doesn't matter what your deductible is. Your, your, your preventive medicine is free. So at least get on insurance so that if you have something really bad happen, you're not going to go bankrupt. And maybe you might have a high deductible, but at least you know you're going to get your preventive care free. And if something really bad happens, you're going to at least have coverage. Thank you so much for that, Carolyn. As you say, um, go bankrupt. Uh, it really makes me think of myself and many, many other folks that I know who ended up filing bankruptcy because of medical debt. I had almost $400,000 in medical debt from yeah. a stint in the hospital when I fell down the stairs and I went into preterm labor with my daughter. So between oh my, God. my bed rest um, in the hospital, which was 10 weeks, and then her stay in the NICU, there we were. Oh my God. How often do you run into those types of stories or meet people who are now trying to, you know, get it together? after a medical event has caused, you know, their finances to crumble. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's just a, a too common a situation. It, Kaiser Health News is a great resource and they have a, a bill of the month thing where people send in their bills and what's happening. And, you know, they get hundreds of stories and it's just sad. What's even more sad to me is that a lot of people are not getting any health care because they can't afford it. And so they have easy to fix situations that if they just had basic primary care, they could take care of those, but they don't. So they end up being very expensive, life-threatening issues. And then we all end up paying. So we have to fix our broken healthcare system. And I know, you know, that my first answer about, well, what do people do? I say, get involved in politics. I know that doesn't sound good but if we rise up as a nation and we fix our political system and we demand better health care i think we'll get there 
Mm. Yeah, so good. I, I remember some of that debt was actually forgiven because of a kind woman that I went back and forth with, you know, during that season, I called the hospital, like, I can't, I can't. And the thing is, I had gotten dropped from my insurance, like, right around the time that I entered the hospital, had no idea until after I got out, because I was in the hospital, not reading mail. So here, so here we are. Um, And I remember just calling back and forth, and the woman asked me to write a hardship letter, And there was some program, it was at Cedar sinai in Beverly Hills, California. And there was some program where they were forgiving parts of debt. Like, I don't even remember what the mechanics and the details Mm -hmm. were. But what I did learn was it was better to be proactive rather than reactive. It was better to call and just try to work something out, even though I had no idea at that time. I was in the real estate industry and it had crumbled. I had no Mm -hmm. idea how I could even potentially get on a payment plan to pay off almost $400,000 of medical debt. Oh my goodness. My heart (sighs) breaks for you. Oh my gosh. It was, it was a difficult time, but we did get a good sum of the debt forgiven. And even things like that, do people even know that that exists? It wasn't until I called and went back and forth with this woman that she's like, honey, let me tell you something. Let write a letter, explain your hardship Mm-hmm. include these details include like and that was at least a step in the right direction but I wouldn't have known that otherwise right and to me you shouldn't even had to go there it just makes it infuriates me you know the the people who are medicare for all you know in this country it's like they get it we don't we we shouldn't have to when you're sick and especially you're you were young and had the fortitude to deal with that imagine and you got better right because it it was an accident and pregnancy issue but imagine being older and imagine being having cognitive issues or having a severe chronic illness where you have to deal with this all the time it's wrong and so we we need a healthcare system that's sane and there are plenty out there everybody looks at europe and they go oh that's socialized medicine i hate to tell you it really isn't um there are just as many countries as are in europe there's different healthcare plans and they all work and they all cover have universal coverage why can't we do that and we can yeah you know my mom had a medical event a couple months ago here And I've been flying back and forth to California to take her to doctor's appointments and, you know, just be present. And I remember when they were calling, obviously because of COVID, I couldn't go to the hospital. But when I was corresponding with the nurses and the doctors and going back and forth, I can't tell you how many times people would say, like, it's so nice that that you're available to help your mom or to have these conversations. And in my head, I'm like, well, yeah, it's my mom. But I talked to one like social worker, I guess you would call her. And she was like, no, a lot of a lot of elderly patients don't have family to advocate for them. And you and your brother calling and saying, hey, what's going on and checking in and my brother go like that matters in terms of the care that your loved one is going to get. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why I teach a course to people on how to be an empowered patient. Because a lot of people don't know how to engage with the healthcare system. And, and it's sad you have to teach it because the healthcare system, the, the people that work in it are wonderful people, but it's it's a hard life and they become very cynical. And it, it's especially on the systems that are driven more by profit than taking care of people. 
And, and so learning how to communicate with healthcare professionals in a way that gets you the care that you deserve and that you need, it, that, that follows the values that you have. That's, and, and there, there's an art to that. And so I write about that. And, and the key is, is too many people are just intimidated by the healthcare system. That's why one, they don't get the care they need. Often they get way too much care, too much is done because they don't know how to stand up. And then three, when they get all the bills, they don't, just like you said, they don't know how to challenge those bills. You know, it, it, there's no, nothing in this country that like medical billing where they can hide what the real costs are. And especially people who are uninsured, they can charge out the yin yang because there's no guardrails to, to keep them from doing that. So, mm. it, so much to be fixed. I, that was such a great point, though. Not only in some instances are you not getting enough care, but the too much care. So I've seen, um, oh my gosh, it's one of the shows, I think it's called The Practice, where mm -hmm. the hospital was billing for tests and just testing people for things that it didn't add up. There was no reason to do the test except to be able to bill the insurance. Yep. And my husband and I were like, no, this can't really be a thing. And we're like, yeah, this is probably definitely a thing. It's been, oh, there, I could tell you so many stories. I mean, like that we have this coding system in medicine where you have to hit, you know, people always ask when, when you go in the doctor, you know how they make you fill in like five page forms of all your history and all that. Why do you know why they do that? I assumed that they did it just to make sure that they don't, you know, give you anything that could. I don't know, flare up something. Right. Over. So yeah, you, you, you think they're doing it so they can learn, know your old history so that they could give you a better, um, do a better job with whatever problem you currently have. Most of the time, they don't look at that. And some, not all doctors, but, but the offices, they just do it automatically because it allows for a higher level of billing. And, and so even if, but wow. you know how doctors always like listen, mate, they'll listen to your heart and lungs, even if you go in for like your toe hurting. The, the reason that they do that is to charge a higher level of billing. They have to do hit so many parts on a physical exam. So they'll, they do things just to make sure they can get that higher level of billing. Now you can't fault doctors. They have to do this because insurance companies cut what they pay. And so they're taught all this coding on, well, here's how to maximize your billing. So they're rationalizing in their head that I got to do this to pay the bills. And people don't realize doctors are doing a lot of unnecessary things because they've got to prove that they did these things to get paid appropriately. It's very sad. Oh, wow. My yeah. mouth was on the floor, you guys. I'm, my mind is blown like... <laughs> Oh, wow. Now, Just I want to so be clear yeah. that, that for the most part, most doctors and nurses and people in healthcare, they are fantastic people. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard life. And, and to me, especially these days, they're, they're really put through the ringer. And, and unfortunately, I think what's really changed that and made that happen is the medicines become truly a business about money. So it's the insurance companies, the hospital administrators, that um, all, all of those people that are driving this type of behavior. And so we've got to fix the system. They're yeah. good people, they're good people caught in a bad culture and we need to fix the culture of medicine.
Mm. Absolutely. Before I let you go, I just wonder, are there any, from a financial planning standpoint, are there any types of products or services that we should be looking into to prepare for these times when we will possibly have more interaction with with healthcare? So long-term care insurance or these different products that just help us prepare for those times. Or for those of us who are in the sandwich generation, raising kids and also caring for aging parents, what can we do to make sure that not just our medical expenses, but what about the medical expenses of our parents, you know, don't bankrupt us? Right. So that's a great point. So too many people in your generation do not do a good job talking with their parents about what their situation is. So, and I get calls all the time about this. All of a sudden you're taking care of an aging parent. We don't know how we're going to pay for this or whatever. They don't even, their parents haven't done estate planning documents. They don't know how much money their parents have. So that's when it's important to have a really hard conversation with your parents that I'm going to be helping take care of you. We need to make sure the finances are are short of. So it brings up another book. I tell everybody they should read Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. And what that book does is it teaches you how to have hard conversations about topics you don't want to have conversations about, you know, talking about money and aging and death. I do it all day. So I'm so comfortable with it, but in general, most people aren't. So making certain that you're clear about your parents' finances and what their resources are. Second, you really shouldn't be responsible for your parents' um, financial issues. So you have to be very careful of not signing things for them agreeing to take on the issues of their stuff, make sure they are going to run out of money and need long-term care, that you're doing what needs to be done to qualify them for services like Medicaid. So understanding in advance. Now, the other thing that people forget to do is nobody wants to talk about getting old and the logistics of being getting old. And there are four things that I tell people they have to plan for if they want to minimize the cost of getting old. First, is where are you going to live as you age? People say, I want to live in my home until I die. Well, is it aging friendly? Do you have support that when you can't take care of your home, that that's going to, it's, it's going to be taken care of? Do you, and so planning that in advance and knowing when you're willing to move to a, a facility is really important. If you have an older person who's just fragile, it's usually cheaper to keep them at home if they have the support. But if you get dementia, that's a whole nother ball game. And if you're insisting on staying home when you have dementia, that's very dangerous, very expensive. So having those conversations and doing those logistics in advance saves heartache, saves money, and it just makes everything so much easier on the family. And so the other th- three things, who's, when are you going to turn over taking care of your finances? An older person's biggest danger of financial ruin is actually themselves. So even if you don't have dementia, you develop cognitive decline. You know, that's normal to just kind of slow down. It's harder to analyze complex finance, financial things. So making certain you have a plan for when whoever's going to be your financial surrogate is going to take over and they know what they're going to be dealing with. And then the third is when to get help with healthcare decisions. So making certain that you share with your family what's important about quality of life, 
What's, you know, so, and this is where I talk about too much care. There was a great article in the New York Times maybe a year or so ago, I forget when, um, but I, many of us have been talking about this for years. Older people, too much is done to them. That really doesn't help their quality of life. And at some point, you just want to keep people comfortable and make them happy instead of trying to cure everything that's not curable. And so by documenting what's important to people about quality of life, then it helps you become a better consumer of healthcare to know when to say when. And this is a hard conversation. Um, and then the fourth is when you're going to quit driving. And people don't think of that as financial, but it's a huge emotional and financial decision, especially if you're in an area that's driving dependent and you don't have good public transportation. But thinking out the logistics of that in advance, making certain you get rid of the car and that you're not killing people on the road or killing yourself, so important. So if people plan for those logistics, it can help reduce the cost of aging. Then you plan for how are we going to pay for it? And, and that, that's a big conversation of, you know, you spending your assets down, should you get long-term care insurance, which is very expensive right now. Um, and, you know, how is family going to pitch in? And they may, you may not want to pitch in financially, but a lot of people are willing to help pitch in physically. You know, mm -hmm. is mom going to come live near them? Or are you going to go live near mom? Are you going to hire a geriatric care manager to help? So just thinking through that in advance. And I recommend people start doing that when their parents are in their 60s. Yeah. And sounds young, but 70s and 80s hits like that. And if you've talked about it when everybody's well, it's not threatening. It's when you're under the gun and a bad situations happen. That's when you gotta, it's like nobody wants to do anything. And that elderly person, they're in denial, they're, they're in pain, they're losing control. So it's so much better to make this a long conversation over a number of years, instead of just trying to say, mom, we gotta do this. You know, um, yeah, so there you go. Long answer to your question, but no, that was wonderful. Thing. There are definitely elements of that. We've talked on the podcast before about being proactive with these conversations, mm -hmm. you know, not waiting mm -hmm. until there's something blows up to start right. to have the conversation when it's very sensitive. That's creating um, resiliency. That's creating resiliency. Yep. But something you just said that I hadn't thought about is when are you going to stop driving? And okay. just this week, I heard of a family member um, who is older, who was driving, their blood pressure, something dropped, and they kind of blacked out in the car, went into someone's home. And yep. thank God nobody was hurt. But, you know, they're in their 80s. I don't think it even occurred that, hey, you probably shouldn't be driving much longer, or maybe this is something we need to talk about. But as you said that, I'm like, yeah. And I know that wasn't a conversation. Yeah. When are you going to stop driving? And thank goodness they didn't kill themselves or anyone in that house. And often they do. So yeah. I actually, I'm really sensitive to that. I had a client many years ago, an older client who needed to quit driving. And I'm a doctor and I actually had already talked to her. I'd set up, um, I mean, I wasn't practicing as a doctor, but just as a, a financial planner, I'm like, I'm worried about your driving. Your family's worried about your driving. We sent her to occupational therapy to have her driving tested and which they can't pull a license, but they can tell you whether you shouldn't be, or at least the rules. And they told her, don't drive at night, don't drive in busy areas, and don't drive during busy times. And lo and behold, she went and did that. She drove at night during a busy time, had a wreck, 
And she's the only client I've ever had that it, she didn't hurt anybody permanently. And Florida is a very Sue happy state. Only client I've ever had who actually utilized their umbrella policy. Yep. Wow. Yep. Wow. Carolyn, you're fascinating. I really oh, enjoy it. I, really I just, I just know some stuff. You know some stuff. Yeah. You said it's not that I'm super smart, but we're like, yeah, Carolyn, you're super smart. But I want to ask you what we call redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. Okay. You're going to just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. So the first one is how do you define success? Oh, living every day in love and joy. Love it. How do you define wealth in three words or less? <laughs> Gotcha. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, gosh, that one's hard, but, but it's like being, being at peace, being at peace. Yeah. Perfect. You nailed it. What's one book you've given us several throughout the interview, but what's yeah. one book that has helped you redefine wealth for yourself? Oh God. You know, that one's hard because I've never been monetarily driven. And I, I mean, I grew up poor and so, you know, to me, I just can't believe where I am. I, I guess, yeah, I, I can't think of a good one about redefining wealth, but I do have to say one that really redefined my outlook on life and, and you know, made me at peace with like money and everything is um, oh, Gail, uh, uh, Gay Hendricks book, um, uh, Loving Con Living Consciously. Living consciously. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right, Carolyn, uh, fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. Oh gosh, my name is Carolyn McClanahan. And the truth about wealth is most of it's in your brain. <laughs> yeah. It starts in the mind. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Carolyn, thank you so much for saying yes. Oh, this my a great pleasure. This has been fun. I, I love talking about these things. So thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Wasn't that fantastic? Don't I always tell you that these guests and these conversations are going to be a blessing to you? Listen, if this was a blessing, just drop me a comment, rate, review, subscribe to the YouTube channel, do something because whenever you take action, not only will you be reminded when the next episode comes out, but you also help us spread the word. There are so many people out there who are doing this journey alone. They don't even know that there's a community of us who believe in redefining wealth and who believe in chasing purpose, not money. And with your support, we hit the algorithms and we spread the word and we bring more like-hearted and like-minded people into this community. So I do need your help. I can't do this alone. Also, don't forget that if you still need to understand what the six pillars of wealth are, you can go to patricewashington.com forward slash start here and get acclimated. Understand what all these areas of life are that are impacting your finances, even when you're not thinking about it. And of course, come chat with me on Instagram, seek wisdom PCW. It is really me in the comments, engaging with you in real time. And I love hearing your thoughts and your feedbacks and seeing your feedback and seeing you share uh, the episodes that really resonate with you. So always feel free to tag me. I'll reshare you if I can. And I love chatting with you in the comments. Until next time, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever feeling like you have to chase money. Talk to you later.